Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is owner and lead financial planner of Resilient Wealth Planning, Carolyn Rolland. Thank you for joining me, Carolyn. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I'm excited. The audience is sure to get some valuable pieces of information from you today. I'm looking really forward to this. So I love having the opportunity to learn more about my guests through this podcast. And I'd love to start at the beginning with you. Let's start with your journey into financial services. And yours is unique and one that I think our audience especially should hear. It's not always family, but there's so many of our financial professionals looking for their quote unquote next generation. And uh, I believe your dad introduced you to this business. So let's talk about that. Yeah, he did. So gosh, if we go back to the beginning, um, it probably started when I was in college. I thought I was going to go into an accounting profession. You know, I love that in high school. I knew I always had a desire for business, but it wasn't until I got to college and started that accounting track that I absolutely hated it. Um, <laughs> there were aspects of it that I enjoyed, but so I switched to finance. Um, I really enjoyed just kind of the high level, you know, everything about it. Um, but when I stopped, started taking some time to figure out, okay, what do I do with this? Where do I go? You know, I started talking to my dad and I knew he, at the time he owned his own business. And so we had many conversations about what he did, what that looked like. I really saw the impact that he was having on his clients' lives. And his practice is unique where he had the tax practice, he had the investment management side, and he also specialized in retirement income planning and had relationship relationships with clients along the way with individuals and was making an impact. And I love that. Like for me, my mom has a psychology background and I think I inherited that from her where I just love, you know, relationships, but then also pairing that with finance, it just seemed like, such an amazing opportunity. And so coincidentally at my college, we had a financial planning um, kind of career track. So, you know, I minored in it, got, you know, my education. And so when I was having conversations with my dad, you know, along the way we're talking, okay, you know, how do I get to where you're at? You know, do you want me in the practice? What does that look like? And it was never intended to be as soon as it ended up being, but he had actually acquired a book of business and he kind of just got busier than he anticipated. And so I'd say about 18 months after I graduated college, you know, I was kind of looking to make a change um, with where I was at and he needed the help. So it kind of was just this natural transition where I joined his practice kind of as a junior advisor, just learning the ropes. Um, I got licensed within the first year and really just there as a support advisor for him, you know, doing a lot of research, helping with taxes. And so that's really how I got started in 2014. And here we are nine years later, <laughs> things look a little bit different, but I always say that. <laughs> I always say that um, sometimes a psychology degree might come in more handy even than a finance degree in our business. So you're, you know, suggesting some validation for that for sure. How long into your couple of follow-up questions for you? How long into your college journey did you actually decide to switch majors? It's probably right at the two-year mark, um, just because you get through your general education credits and then you start to kind of hit the business, you know, your coursework from major and 
Mm-mm. <laughs> so it was very soon. Yeah, I think that's pretty common, but it's also something that I believe young people potentially agonize over is, is it going to set me back? Am I going to ha- have more? You know, a lot of times all the credits don't transfer into what they decide to go into. But I think the reason I wanted you to answer that question to some extent is just to give people comfort that it's more often than not, I do think people at least have a consideration at around that middle mark of what they really want to do. Because how do you know it until you get into it? Yeah. And how are you supposed to decide at 18 years old what you want to choose, what major that could potentially, you know, determine the rest of your career, your rest of your life? So, yeah, it's a huge concern. Um but I was very fortunate that it did transfer, right? And it wasn't, didn't set me back. And I was in a very fortunate position where, oh, they have this certified financial planning, you know, education career track. So very fortunate. Absolutely. And then um, what did you do for the first 18 months? And did you and your dad talk about, so a lot of times in these situations, especially when it's a family member, even if that's, it doesn't have to be a son or daughter, but even nieces and nephews or you know cousins, whatever it may be, there's some kind of an agreement, sometimes almost just, it's not even like a formal agreement. It's an informal plan that they're going to go cut their teeth, if you will, somewhere else before they come into the business with the older person who's thinking about trying to build a succession plan. Was it a plan that you were going to go somewhere else and do some different things? And was that from his end or your end? Or you did you even talk about it? We did. Yeah. So I opted to go and try for a career track with a large banking institution, let's say, <laughs> that has financial services you know, attached to the banking. And I had interned at that bank during college, um, liked it there. When I transferred to the Milwaukee area, I just realized that it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, But yes, so to answer your question, it was something that we had talked about. It was important to him. He's like, there are certain things that I cannot teach you. And having that real life experience is important. kind of bringing it back though, where he was so busy and I think just hit capacity. He really wanted to offload some of that, you know, responsibility that he saw the value in bringing me on sooner than we had anticipated. And we talk about it. We still talk about it to this day where, you know, yeah, we would have both loved for me to have more real world experience. However, it all worked out. Yes. (laughs) It all worked out just fine. Yeah, I remember when he was um, maxed out from a capacity perspective, talking to him a few times. So I don't know. Everything Mm -hmm. happens for a reason. Sometimes it's all about the timing. So it's a good thing that you were there. Great. So let's talk a little bit more about your business, Resilient Wealth Planning. It looks like you founded it in 2020. You mentioned earlier that one of your favorite things was making an impact on clients. So let's Fast forward a couple of years, you've expanded your team. Talk about the process and how you and your firm make an impact on your clients. Yeah. So it was really important for me, you know, just over the last nine years, building a brand, building a business that really aligned with my core values. And for me, it's all about financial planning first, making sure that my client is comfortable, that we're here as a teammate. Um And I really want to educate my clients along the way too. And so, you know, I launched Resilient Wealth Planning in 2020. It was me. I knew I wanted to kind of start out on that solo advisor track. Um, 
I soon realized, okay, I needed a little bit of support. So I did end up hiring my first admin. Oh gosh, I think at the end of 2021, it was right when I found out I was pregnant. So it all worked out really well. So um, it was really difficult for me to consider the hiring process. One, I think a lot of advisors have an have a hard time delegating, but I knew that if I wanted to thrive, if I wanted to grow my business, if I wanted to do right by my clients, I needed to hire a teammate for myself, right? You know, I'm a teammate for my clients, but I also need a teammate. Um, and it was the best decision that I've ever made. And so, you know, now fast forward to 2023, I have three support staff, so two part-time admins, and then I do have a part-time data entry for tax, the tax side of the business. Um, and so we can go into the process of how that all works, but it's so it's funny. I mean, we talked about how things kind of work out for a reason, truly. Like I never saw, envisioned this being my life, but it's got, yeah, it's so funny how things come together and work out the way that they're supposed to. So one of the things I hear often from people at the beginning of their journey or even further into a business is that hiring is kind of an intimidating thing because especially with the first couple people you're taking and, and your business is new, you're taking some responsibility for another family in some way, shape or form. I mean, those people are working and looking for a job because they yeah. need one. Um, so talk about whether or not you experienced some of that apprehension that some people do and how did you get over it? How, how did you psychologically, back to using that psychology reference, uh, get comfortable with it? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was the delegating, right? I knew I needed to do that. But like you said, it's I'm now responsible for somebody else and, you know, the, that impacts their family. Um but I knew it was the right thing for my practice and for my clients. And so I could get past that. Right. And I think the biggest hang up that I actually had was you now have to show up as a boss every single day. It's not just your clients that are relying on you. You have an employee and that I also took into consideration when I was doing the hiring process. It was okay. Find somebody who is passionate about what they do can hold their own and kind of take initiative and it'll all work out, right? So it was kind of about finding that right person. And I lucked out because I think I actually just duplicated it myself. <laughs> I love my uh, admin. She's amazing. And yeah, you kind of just have to let it go, right? You just have to embrace it and know that it's the right next step for your business and just let it go and it'll all work out. Yeah, the philosophy is if you are hiring at a time where you feel desperate and you're at capacity, you probably waited too long. And you're not going to mm -hmm. move beyond that next ceiling if you don't either, you know, it doesn't always have to be a full-time employee or even a part-time employee. You can use various, you know, Cambridge has an office assistant program. There's others out there. Um, it, it can be something like that, but definitely to your point, delegation is the key because if you're doing tasks that are worth $12 an hour, when you should be doing things that are worth 50 or $100 an hour, you've got to kind of figure that out and then start delegating the lower level tasks. And it sounds like that was your moment where you had the aha that said, it's time. 
Mm -hmm. I had actually gone through the strategic coaching program that Cambridge offers, and I will credit a lot to Chad George, where he said, you need to be doing the revenue generating activities. And that is always in my mind. So thank you, Chad George. Um, I would not be where I am today without you. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> we'll make sure he, he uh, has a listen. So you started just touching on the process, the whole idea of your clients being a teammate. Do you talk to your clients about that? Lay out the process for us. Yeah. So it, high level, you know, my onboarding process is about 45 days and it always starts with this discovery meeting, you know, whether that's face-to-face, -face, virtual, you know, we leave it up to the prospect, the client, but part of that for initial conversation is that, you know, we're in this together this whole process will only be as successful as you make it. You know, we really need your input, your desire, because we are a financial planning first firm, and that takes a lot of initiative from the client. And I really want to empower our clients as well. And so being a teammate and articulating that is incredibly important because I want them to understand why we're doing this, you know, that they're not alone also, that they have somebody to lean on. Um, but just kind of understanding the why. And I feel like being a teammate kind of helps articulate that, let's say. What happens when you realize perhaps they don't have the same desires and core values as you? How do you explain to them that they might not be a fit for your firm? If they don't want to do financial yeah, planning first, I have to believe there's some amount of, especially maybe young generations, potentially who are all about, you know, they're, it's their, they're about trying to figure out how to monetize some of their earnings. And that's not a lot sometimes, right? They're starting in it from a different place, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've definitely come across that where, you know, we have our process, we start with financial planning, we charge for it. And some people truly just want that investment management, but that's not who we are. And that's a story that I've become comfortable telling and, you know, saying, and the why behind, you know, starting with financial planning. And if that's not something they value, then I'm okay having that conversation saying, okay, then we're just not a good fit. You know, I want you to be as comfortable as possible, but I also need to be comfortable. And, you know, if we're not the right firm for you, then, you know, here are some recommendations. And I do have, you know, local advisors that I know that I'm happy to, you know, offer that recommendation just because I get that. Not everybody wants to pay for financial planning, but I've built a process, built a business that I'm proud of, and that works. <laughs> you know, I've had clients that go through it, and yeah, it, it is a certain kind of client, right? Um, and that's okay. That's good. I think that's a hard thing at the beginning, starting your own business too. And being much more disciplined pays off in the end. It's just a little scary at the beginning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So tell, telling somebody no, like, <laughs> that never. Exactly. <laughs> So you mentioned 45-day process of onboarding, but let's dig a little deeper into that. Are you sending them electronic documents? Are you meeting face-to-face? -face? Are you doing Zooms? Are you doing all of the above? Do they fill out questionnaires? Mm -hmm. So it's custom to how they want to go through that engagement. So we do face-to-face -face ones, but we also do virtual ones. And so we have a process for each, right? And so I like to do as much digitally as possible. I find that it it's easier, especially from the data gathering, gathering standpoint. And so, like I said, 45 days, we break it into four meetings, whether that's face-to-face -face or virtual. 
We utilize Precise FP for that whole data gathering process. I have my financial planning software where we use that as a collaborative tool and to help kind of guide the planning process. And then we have two more comprehensive meetings that are probably closer to 90 minutes where we really just dive into the plan and client financials and the goal setting and, you know, say, okay, you told me this, but this is what's actually going on. So we need to make these tweaks. Um, so where I would love for my process to be like so streamlined, you kind of also have to customize it to the prospect, to the client. So we've done a really great job implementing workflows and kind of having that structure, but I know when to kind of tweak it, you know, based on the client's kind of way that they take in information. You kind of learn that when going back to the psychology is you learning about your clients, you kind of need to know how they take in information and how they like to be delivered information. And I do tailor that based on my client. Everybody has a different approach, but that one resonates for me in particular. It's, it's important to have a process, but uh, especially from a growing business perspective, some amount of flexibility is probably the key so that you can, you want to make sure you can automate you don't want to be doing, you know, let's say you're, you will be someday five times your size. So you've got a lot of clients coming through that type of process and you don't want to have everything be a complete one-off. I know many advisors, especially who maybe started their business 30 years ago, who just kept capitalizing on the fact that it was one client, one unique everything. And now they've got this monster because once you have 500 clients out there and you've got five different approaches, it can be a little overwhelming. It starts to become inefficient and it's really hard to automate at that point. So what you're describing makes a lot of sense to me that you're leaving yourself just enough room to be flexible, but still automate. Absolutely. And I've always been incredibly intentional about my business, um, setting boundaries for myself. You know, I've always had the longer term vision in mind where you know, yes, I want to have this incredibly successful business, but I want to have time for myself. I want to have time for my family and I don't want there to be this imbalance or lack of harmony. Um, so I always keep that in the back of my mind and that's how I built my business. You know, that's where the processes and the workflows come into play. Did you happen to have any resources other than I know you went through school and it's valuable and you had some great classes great professors I'm sure especially through the CFP process were there any other resources that you used just on the fundamentals of how to start a business I mean you're talking a lot about being intentional and you really implemented things that were important to you in your business did you just know that inherently or did you have some resources that you fell back on. I know you had your dad there too, but. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, you know, let's say growing up in a quote unquote, growing up in a small business, um, you know, under my dad's self-employed individual, you know, you see that you experience that going through the strategic one-on-one coaching helped tremendously, but I've also been an RPM. Now this is my second year. And so I've kind of put myself in positions to, learn and grow. And I'm, you know, so grateful for Cambridge and the resources that you guys provide. Um, you truly helped me grow, you know, as a business owner and I've loved those experiences thus far. And then just meeting other advisors within Cambridge and, you know, seeing how they're doing things and learning from each other. It's been amazing. And I will, you know, 
attribute my success to kind of everyone I've met along the way and just soaking it all in. That's great. I think it's really important to uh, network, even if you don't take, I mean, obviously you've met tons of people. You don't take 100% of everybody's style. You just hear what's working, what's not working, and then kind of fit that into your desired ideal state business. It sounds like you've done a great job at that. Investing in your business. Thank you. Yes. And just like clients are all different. I mean, we're all different as advisors, right? You truly have to figure out what's right for you based on your values. And that's what I've done. That's great. Congratulations. So not only are you a certified financial planner, but you're also an enrolled agent. How does being able to provide financial planning and tax services to your clients stand, help you stand out amongst other firms? Yeah, um, that is one of the greatest things that I've been able to kind of build. And I you know, attribute that to my father. I kind of built my practice very similar to his, but being able to provide tax return preparation, tax planning, and specializing in that has been a huge value add. And when clients hear that we offer that, they love it for multiple reasons. They're like, oh, great. One last professional to find, please. And thank you. And then they understand how tax preparation really correlates to financial planning and how it all intertwines. And, you know, tax planning is part of the financial plan. And so, we talk about that and it's truly been a huge value add to the clients. And then also having that practice is an amazing, the tax practice is a huge, the lead generation tool for the financial planning and investment side of things too. That was, that's uh was going to be a follow-up question. I'm gl- uh, glad that you yeah. went there, which was, you know, I have to believe that some clients come in as financial planning first and others come through the tax first perspective. Yes. And so, you know, the dream is, or, you know, the hope is you, be, you know, you're a financial planning client, investment management client, and also a tax return preparation client. Like that's just, you know, the whole picture. That's really how you optimize, you know, working with resilient wealth planning, but we let people in as tax only as investment management only, but, you know, of course we prefer to start with financial planning, but I know when somebody is a good fit, um, even if they don't necessarily want to start with the financial planning first, um, but yeah, we do get a lot of tax referrals. And because that's such a great lead generation, I, I can't say no. So where I'm, it's easier for me to say no or no when somebody's not a great fit from like the financial planning side of things, you know, tax return preparation. I love it so much too. And so I'm happy to, you know, say yes to somebody. And I make that a relationship as well. You know, to me, that's not transactional. I think there's a lot of preparers that it is transactional, but, you know, we relate it to the financial planning and um, that makes a big difference. Absolutely. That's great. So you mentioned earlier that when you were building your business, one of the things that was important to you was about balance. And one of your core values is self-care. So outside of the office, you talked about your family. How do you spend your free time? Tell us about that. Well, pre-motherhood, um, a lot of time walking, running outside, love, you know, working out, staying active. Um, I still try and do that, just not as much of a routine, but I try to take at least an hour per day for myself, um, whether that's waking up before my daughter, drinking coffee, you know, I work out at 5 a.m. three days a week. I know that's nuts, but that's how I take care of myself, prioritize my mental health and show up for my family and for 
my clients. What kind of activities? I know that your family is young and you're just starting it, but are there things that you have in mind that you'll do as a family go forward when the age is appropriate? So I know it's hard when they're young and babies with all the naps per day, but you know, we love my husband and I prior to having a child, like loved going to breweries, loved just kind of going to restaurants, sitting out on patios. So bringing our daughter Mara along with that to do those things we're looking forward to as it gets warmer here as springtime rolls around. But my husband's also from, he'll get mad at me for saying central Wisconsin because it's not, but two hours north of where we are and uh, called the chain of lakes in Wisconsin. And so he grew up, you know, on the lakes in that small town. And so Getting our having our daughter experience that we're really looking forward to this summer and spending time outdoors. You need and, to tell yeah. him being from Wisconsin is just fine because <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin too, and we should be admitting yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And growing up on a lake is a really good thing. I remember my children getting to know their grandparents at a lake house when they were younger was probably one of the most rewarding things about being a parent is that you could try to build that family network. So that sounds really great. Yeah. So I've seen you have a blog and you're at least pre-pregnancy. And I know you'll probably get back to it, but you were very active on social media. How have those outlets helped you build connections with prospective clients or the networking inside the industry like we were talking about? How have you used that? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And being active on social and having the blog has kind of been a great tool, a great resource, you know, connecting with other advisors, but also my prospects and clients. I mean, if a client has a question for me, you know, it's so easy for me to find, you know, one of my previous blog posts, or it gives me ideas for social posts, you know, so easy to share that with them, right. And articulate that. And then connecting with other advisors, you know, LinkedIn has been such a great tool and resource and then as well as Instagram, honestly. And I'm so grateful that, Cambridge kind of got ahead of things and has allowed us, you know, to be on social. I know that's difficult with 3000 plus reps, but it's necessary for your practice because clients are going to research you, right? They're going to Google you. And that has made a difference. Um, You know, I've had clients come to me and be like, Oh, I saw your blog post. This was so great. And well, yeah, I was more active in 2000, let's say 2016 to 2020. Um, that still exists, right? That's still part of your SEO and I can still share that content and that's been incredibly valuable. It makes me sound ancient, but I think back to the early days where websites were the unique, you know, more public venture that people were taking. And to some extent back then, if somebody tried to look up, you'll look you up on the internet and you didn't show up at all, then you probably, they were going to say, mm, I don't even know if that's real, right? I, I don't trust the relationship potentially. And now I do feel like if you're not at least somewhere further than just a website, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, pick one or pick all, it doesn't matter, but somewhere that they can at least track you down. I think that um, it's just important to have a presence. Oh, I completely agree. And I just look at the last nine years that I've been in this industry where, you know, when I started, it was websites, it was having a blog. And now it's all about social. But then we look at these different platforms that are might not be around in the next five years. So it's doing something, um, but then also making sure that you're doing what 
resonates with you. Don't force yourself to be on a social platform that you have zero interest in. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on TikTok. No, thank you. But I love LinkedIn. I love Instagram. And I know my target market. And I know that they're also on those platforms. And so just not forcing yourself to do that, right? But again, it kind of just resonates back with your values and your why. And that's, yeah, that's what people want to know. Good advice. Absolutely. So as we're nearing the end, uh, Carolyn, what is one or more, but what, what's one piece of advice that you got as you were starting out that you think listeners out there who might be considering taking that leap should hear? One thing that really resonated with me is that, especially being young when I started in this industry, people don't care about your age. They care about the fact that you're confident and that you know what you're talking about. So if you're young, getting in this industry, don't let your age hold you back. It's, it's the confidence, just become the expert in something and share that with people. Great advice. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing yourself today. And is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure our listeners hear? We hit it. We hit it all. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I think it'll be really valuable. And I appreciate you taking your time to share yourself with us. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. 